0: We are in John's Gospel this morning. John chapter 8, specifically, verses 30 to 47. It's around page 1066 if you're using a church Bible. John chapter 8, verses 30 to 47. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word, finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. Of God.
1: hello again, we get settled here. Now, if you've just joined us this week for the first time, what we usually do in church here is preach from the Bible. So, for example, next week we're going into Romans, we're going to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 in order and we simply, we simply do that. But what we've been doing the past few weeks is a series called Can of Worms where we look at topics, things such as suffering, exclusivity, can we trust the Bible, the Da Vinci Code, stuff like that. And this is last week we're doing that, and today we're looking at the question, what about other religions? So before we start, let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. We deserve nothing of you, Lord, yet you came, as Dwayne said, you came down to us. This morning, Lord, we thank you that you have placed your word in our hands and your spirit in our hearts. And we ask now, Lord, please will you take your word and plant it deep in our hearts where it can take root and produce fruits and make us more like Christ. May our faith increase, our convictions be strengthened, and our confidence renewed, Lord. Father, it's a tough question that we're facing today, so please give us clarity of mind to be able to think through these issues, even though it's a weekend. We ask, Lord, come this morning and draw us to Jesus. Help us to see Him, to love Him, to worship Him. We ask this for His sake. Amen. I want to start by telling you what's wrong with Christianity. Think about this. If you just believe, all your sins will be wiped away. So, if you spend your life as a murderer and a rapist, and on your deathbed, minutes before you die, you believe, you go to heaven. Isn't it? That's not fair, is it? I'll tell you what's fair: karma. Karma is fair. Because you get what you deserve. Does it make sense? No, wait. How about this? Imagine a God who. One minute he's calm, he's godlike. The next minute he's upset. The next minute he starts crying. The next minute he starts weeping. And the next minute you see him arguing with people. It just seems so ungodlike. There's more. How can God be three and yet be one? Is he three or is he one? It just makes no sense, doesn't it? There's only one God. And if you associate anything with God, it's blasphemy. I hope at this point you're feeling a little uncomfortable, but I do hope I've got your attention. You should know that of course I don't believe any of that. I think karma makes no sense. I think the fact that God experiences emotions makes him more godlike rather than less. So what's the point? You see, those are common objections to Christianity by other religions. There's a there's an intrinsic problem with questions do I have the question here? What about other religions? is that what usually happens and this is talked about in sort of a church setting like that is the preacher gets up and of course he talks about Christianity but what he does is he takes Christian issues Christian questions and Christian categories and applies them to other religions so for example what does Hinduism teach about sin? I've got a better one someone asked me this last week how do you get to heaven in Hinduism? how does Buddhism save you? and I know this because I've done this before but is it really fair? How do you get to heaven in Hinduism? Ask a Hindu? And you say, What do you mean? Heaven's not a place. That's what are you talking about? But if you do that, you, if you take Christian issues and Christian questions and apply them to other religions, you can make Christianity look really, really good. Especially in the context we're in, where most of us are Christian, where most of us know these questions and know the answers to these questions. I mean, I can easily make Christianity have all the answers but I don't think that's really fair that's why I started by telling you what's wrong with Christianity because suppose if we were in the Hindu temple and all of us are Hindus suppose and we're talking about this question what about other religions meaning Christianity we will end up bringing Hindu questions to Christianity and we can easily make Christianity look bad so what this all tells us is basically three things this question is a lot harder than I thought it was when I started. <laughs> you can't have table A, table B, table C and just compare and contrast. It. it doesn't work like that. It also tells us there's so much diversity, differences across all religions, that you just have to look on the surface, you know, they don't all end up at the same place. But thirdly and most importantly, it has to do with us. Why are you what you are? Why do you believe what you believe? We talked about this at Entrust, so if you didn't come to Entrust, you missed out. One of the questions was, why are you still a Christian? Not, how do you become a Christian? You could have grown up in a church, but why are you now, today, still a Christian? That's why today's sermon is important, I think, for all of us. Even if you came in this morning thinking, eh, don't really care about other religions, I've got Jesus, it's good enough for me. No. Because I think if Buddhism truly is better, if Buddhism is true, and it, to put it crudely, offers a better deal, let's all be Buddhists or Hindus. That's why today's sermon is important. So where do we start? You can't, oh, you can't really start with God, because there's no such concept of God in, say, Buddhism. The only common ground I could think of, because all religions exist, Men, women, people, you and I. And this is also the one that will launch us into the text for today, John 8. Because what if I told you, is that me making that sound? Because what if I told you that Jesus doesn't really have much to say about other religions. Instead, Jesus has a whole lot to say about you. I mean, Islam didn't even get organized a couple hundred years later. Hinduism, Buddhism on the other side of the planet. So turn to John 8 with me, and we're going to look at, let see if we can get this up. Ooh, no, wait. We're going to look at humans according to Jesus. Now we're entering the Gospel of John here in chapter 8. Jesus just spoken about being the light of the world, and some Pharisees were arguing with him, as you do, as usually happens. But in the midst of all of that, look at verse 30. As Jesus, he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, one of the themes throughout the whole Gospel is this idea of belief. In chapter 2, we hear of people who believe in Jesus. Yay! But Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. Why? Because they only believe in Jesus for what they can get out of Jesus. Whether it's miracles, or signs or bread. So there's always this tension in the gospel of John between a false belief that seeks after bread and a genuine belief that seeks after Jesus. So we come to John 8 here. What's happening here? Which category do these people fall into? And if we skip to the end of our passage at verse 45, we read Jesus said, I tell you the truth you do not believe me. They don't believe. So what we have here in this passage from verse 33 to 45, there's a group of people who don't believe. They reject what Jesus is saying and offering, and in the end they choose something else. But what we're interested in is not the fact that they rejected Jesus, but why. How do they justify themselves? What do they appeal to? And more importantly, what does Jesus have to say to them? So look at verse 32. If you abide in my word, Meaning if you hear it, take it to heart and live according to it, you will truly be my disciples. Notice the theme of genuine and false, true, disciples and false disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think we can, we can, we can spend an entire sermon just on this one verse. But notice, of course, we're not, but notice that this is a religious claim. In fact, I think this is the religious claim of Christianity. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. For the sake of argument, I think, this is the gospel. If you come to Jesus, he will set you free. What's the problem with that? The problem is, what are you saying about me? Am I not free? Are you calling me a slave? Because that's what the Jews thought. Look what comes next, verse 33. They answered him, we are the seed of Abraham, descendants of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we will be set free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So what is Jesus saying about us, about people? Is this, humans have a moral problem. And I kind of feel like I don't have to prove it to you. Because if you knew what went on in my heart and in my mind, you wouldn't be my friend. But I do want to make the point, which is implied in what Jesus is saying, is that there's something wrong with this world. And what's wrong with the world is us, people. Dwayne's illustration, which we use all the time in evangelism, is this, why do you lock your doors at night? It's not because there are lions outside. I hope, Dingoes. is because there are people outside. People are the problem. And the problem is morality. Humans face a moral problem. Everyone who commits sin. That's why we have laws. We have the criminal justice system. We have the police. But what else does Jesus say? Humans have a moral problem and it is universal. It's everyone. So when Jesus says, everyone who commits sin... That's not a condition to everyone. It's not like, here's every person on the face of the earth. Who do you want? Those who commit sin. Oh, okay, those who commit sin. We leave the rest. No. It's not a condition. It's a definition. Who, who do you want? Every, everyone who commits sin. Who, as in, here's every, here's every person on the face of the planet. Who do you want? Those who commit sin. Ah, so you want all of them. It's not a condition. It's a definition. No one is left out because, well, there isn't anyone who hasn't committed. So when Jesus says, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the Jews reply, we are the seed of Abraham. Jesus doesn't deny that. But you see, the Jews thought that the problem was ethnicity or religion. But Jesus goes to a deeper level. It's not about those things. It's about morality. He goes straight for the heart. The problem is here. It is about everyone. So humans have a moral problem, it's universal not only that is real. What do I mean by real? This this problem is not a lack of good or a lack of morality. Just have some ethics classes, try a little harder, you'll be fine. No. It's a real problem and there's nothing we can do about it. The metaphor that Jesus uses is slavery. It's a state we're in and a status that defines us. And we will never overcome this problem. So humans have a moral problem, it's universal, it's real, and it's binding. And that's what Jesus says about us. And, want us. and I want us to look at how the Jews respond. And I suspect you'll find it very familiar in that this is exactly how other religions respond. And you understand why this passage on it is so pertinent to our question today. So how do the Jews respond? Simple. They appeal to their religion. Look at verse 33 with me. The Jews answered him, We are the seed of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? And look at verse 39. Abraham is our father. And that's a Jewish way of referring to the whole history of Judaism standing behind them. So what's the response to Jesus? I've got my own religion. Thank you very much. And my religion says, I'm not a slave. I don't have the problem you say I had We We have never been enslaved. How can you say we will be set free? Who makes you the judge? I think it's very familiar. And look at what Jesus says to them, verse 37 I know you are the seed of Abraham, but you seek to kill me. If you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works that Abraham did, i.e., you are not Abraham's children. What's the point? You see, the Jews' response was to claim their their Jewishness. we have got Judaism. And my religion says, I don't have a problem. What they didn't realize was that being descendants of Abraham, even though they're technically Jews, that does nothing for the condition they're in. Jesus doesn't deny them that. But then to say because they were Jews, they don't have this problem? No, it doesn't work. Why? simple. Jesus says, look at yourselves. You claim you don't have a moral problem, even though it's universal, it's real, it's binding. You claim you don't, then why are you trying to kill me? Your very actions prove my point. Being a Jew does nothing for the condition you're in. Now, I want to stop here and just think about this for a minute. Just imagine this encounter between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. So here's Jesus, standing in front of Jesus, Pharisees, the scribes, the law leaders. And what is Jesus saying to them? Jesus is saying, you've got it wrong. Your religion doesn't work. You're not Jews. He's saying, excuse me? How, how dare you? How dare you say that to us? Can you see how offensive Jesus is being? Of course, the term, we, we, what we call it today, is politically incorrect. But back then, saying those things might just get you killed. And if I, if I didn't read any of the Bible, I'd suspect that's what would happen. I wouldn't be surprised if they killed him. Such an intolerant man. Be that as it may, the argument remains. Humans have a moral problem which is universal, it's real, and it's binding. And let me tell you about humans according to other religions. Let me tell you about Hinduism. I don't claim to be an expert at this. But at the root of in Hinduism is this idea of the Brahman. I think I'm pronouncing it correct. Brahman is the source of everything there is. Think of kind of like the force in Star Wars. And everything you see is simply an extension of this force. And parallel to this Concept is to this idea is the concept of the Atman, Atman, or your soul. This is the inner you, the real you, which is a reflection of the Brahman. In other words, you are not you, or to be precise, you are not the real you. The real you is found in the Brahman. The problem then is you being trapped in this mortal body. It's not morality, no, it's that you are cut off from the Brahman and you need to be reunite. Now once the you, that you know, disappears, you'll find the real you. What about, what about Buddhism? Historically, Buddhism came from Hinduism. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, that just makes no sense, you're Buddhist. Because that's what Buddhism thinks. There is no you behind the you. So what does Buddhism teach? There is no you. You don't exist. What you think is you is a combination of mental and physical changes. It's all cause and effect, kind of like chemical reactions. And once you realize there is no you, you'll be enlightened. But how do you, how do you explain suffering? Why do I feel so me? I said, here's the problem. The problem is desire. You desire to be healthy. That's why when you're unhealthy, you think you're suffering. You desire to be you. That's why you. Feel like you're you, but get rid of desire and you'll be free. Okay, I've got this. There you go. Can you see now why John 8, I think, is such a perfect passage for us? The Jews Mm -hmm. appealed to their religion. So can a Hindu, so can a Buddhist. We'll talk about Islam later, but can you see? Suppose Jesus was somehow. Teleported, transported into a Buddhist context. And Jesus was standing in front of all these Buddhist or Hindu scholars, and Jesus would say, I think, the same thing. You will know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they will appeal to the religions saying, How can you say, I will be set free? I don't need to be free. At least, not in the way that you mean. I don't have the moral problem that you say I have. This is what there's a lot more in this passage That we can look at But we want to stick to our question What about other religions? Now friends There are tons of religions Around the world It's like, it's like an all you can eat buffet And some people actually live their lives And like they're just taking a bit from every religion But we want to ask the question How do you know which is true? How do you know which you need we looked at what they said about us, humans, So we can ask this question: What do they offer me? If you're a Hindu, you need to, you need to be reunited into the Brahman. Karma is not your friend. Karma is the problem, because you're stuck in this cycle of good versus bad. And the only way you can let me see if I get this end this problem is to end the cycle of karma through different paths, paths of duty, devotion, worship. It's quite complicated. But the bottom line is it's all down to you. You have to get yourself out. Same with Buddhism. You have to do something. That is, if you either believe what you have to believe about who you are, who you are not, whether you're real or not. If you're a Muslim, well, don't even ask this question. Allah commands that you obey him fulfill your five pillars fast, pray, go to Mecca believe, do charity and hopefully your good will outweigh your bad and when you finally stand before Allah it's still entirely up to his discretion whether he likes you or not so fingers crossed but suppose that you are you that you are ultimately accountable for everything you do? And that one day, you will have to give an account for your life, how you lived, what you did. Do you then reckon you have a problem? Or look at your life now. Do you ever wish you could be more patient with your kids? Do you ever wish you didn't have to be tempted by whatever is tempting you? Do you reckon you face a problem? I think I know I do. I have a moral problem. If I'm totally honest, I don't think I'm good enough. I, I think I'm good, average, better than, better than most. I mean, I work in a church. That's a good but am I willing to bet my life that that is good enough? I'm willing to bet my eternal life. Let me tell you what Jesus offers. Look at verse 35 with me. Now, a slave does not remain in a house forever. The son remains. If the son, big S, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Humans have a moral problem. It's universal, it's real, it's binding. But there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. So if if there's going to be a solution, it's got to come from outside us, from beyond us. That's what Jesus offers. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is offering to take it upon himself to set you free. He doesn't have to. It wasn't his responsibility, but he's offering to. Because Jesus doesn't really care if you're Hindu or if you're Buddhist or if you're Muslim. He didn't care back then whether those people were Jews or not. He cared that they were people. And as people, they faced a deadly problem. That's why the offer stands. The invitation is open. If the problem is universal, so it is the solution. Come with me to chapter 14. I've got it up here. This is a couple of weeks after chapter 8. I think it's weeks. A couple of weeks after chapter 8. And here Jesus says, look what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If you were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is talking about his death. See, at the cross, Jesus took upon himself to solve our problem. If there's a problem with the world, it's us people and our moral failure. But on the cross, Jesus settled our account. It should have been me who was crucified. It should have been me hanging on that cross. They should have buried me. I mean, think about this. They crucified a thief beside Jesus. Do you want to know how many MP3s I've downloaded illegally before I became a Christian? And they crucified thief. But instead Jesus took our place, He became our substitute, so that if we come to Jesus, we will find forgiveness, an end to a moral problem. But that's not it, because forgiveness is kind of understandable, I think. You forgive, you don't hold it against them. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He went and prepared a place for us in his father's house. He doesn't just give us our freedom like we were slaves. If you watch Django Unchained, he says, alright, you're no longer a slave, you're a free man, here's $10. Have a good day. All the best. He doesn't do that. He's prepared, prepared a place for us inside the house so that we can be where he is with a God. And we can truly know God that life It's not about the 70, 80 years living for myself and that's it. No. You can truly know God. Know what God's like. Talk to God and he will listen. Rely on him. Love him. Be loved by him. And have the freedom to do that. But how do I know that what Jesus is offering is real? God confirmed it by raising Jesus from the dead. I mean, show me a better religion. Don't wanna be don't wanna sound rude, but Buddha never died for you. Muhammad never died for you. And definitely nobody was raised from the dead for you. Only Jesus offers. Now I know most of you here are Christian And if there are any of you here who aren't Christian Odds are you're not Hindu or, or Muslim Odds are you're sitting there thinking Well it's all well and good but I'm not really interested in religion I mean this doesn't really have anything to do with me I don't, I don't do that, I don't appeal to religion I'm just an average bloke I don't even know what religion I am. You've got to ask my mother. Someone actually said that to me. I, can, I, th- I think I can get away without Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I don't need religion. Come with me to verse 41. Because I think the Bible, sorry, chapter 8, verse 41. The Bible is very aware of you, if that's you. Chapter eight, verse forty-one. You are doing, Jesus saying, you are doing what your father, your father did. And the Jews said to him, "Listen to this. We were not born of sexual immorality. What? Where did that come from? Jesus never said they were. Nobody said they were. And on all accounts, they probably weren't born of sexual immorality. So, so you're right." What's the point? The point is, you were Jesus. They were talking about the scandal about Jesus' birth. They were saying, your mother fell pregnant with you before she was married. In other words, they were calling Jesus a bastard. See, the Bible doesn't pull its punches. So if there's anyone here who is enslaved to sin... If there's anyone here with has a moral problem, it's you! We don't have to hear anything you say because you're the one with the problem. What this does is to give them the moral high ground. I don't appeal to any religion, I don't need a religion, I think I'm good enough. I mean, if, if other people are born on sexual marriage, if other people have moral problems in religion, fine, I don't need it. It's an escape route. But I don't don't think it, it won't work These reasons didn't work for the Jews in John 8 And it wouldn't work for us now The only solution to our problem is Jesus Only Jesus offers freedom So as we close, I want to think about original question Do I have, not that, that's it What about our original question? What does Jesus say about other religions? Frankly, not much really Except that it doesn't do anything for the condition we're in Jesus doesn't care if you're a Hindu or if you're Buddhist or you're Baha'i or you're Muslim or you're Zoroastrianism He cares that you're human and He's inviting you to come So I want to close with this. Can I urge you to read John 8? And don't see Jews there resisting Jesus. It's all of us. All of us need to be set free. And Jesus offers exactly that. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, this isn't information. This is an invitation. So come.
0: Thanks, Ewan. We'll, uh, why don't we respond now uh, together in prayer uh, to what we've heard, and we'll also uh, spend a bit of time praying for our world and